Welcome to The Accelerators. Here for you are a series of tried and tested and proven real world ideas to help you create and enjoy a business and a life of choice. The Accelerators, because success loves speed. And now we come to the guest interview of the month, and I'm delighted to bring you the second part of a two-part interview with Joel Barker, the Paradigm Man. Joel Barker was the first person to popularise the concept of paradigm shifts for the corporate world. He began his work in 1975 after spending a year on fellowship meeting and working with visionary thinkers in both North America and Europe. He discovered that the concept of paradigms, which at that time was sequestered within the scientific discussion, could explain revolutionary change in all areas of human endeavour. In 1985, he had built the case and corporations and nations were seeking his advice. In 1980, in addition to his work on paradigms, he began to focus on a second crucial component for organisations and individuals, the importance of vision. In 1986, he released his first videotape, Discovering the Future, the Business of Paradigms. I've seen it, by the way, and it's brilliant. By 1988, it was the best-selling business video in history. In 2001, he updated this film to include contemporary examples and a shortened version. It has been translated into 16 languages and continues to influence people all over the world. He then released The Power of Vision, which became a second bestseller translated into more than a dozen languages. His book on paradigms, Future Edge, was listed as one of the most influential business books of that year, that's 1992, by the prestigious Library Journal. It's been used for more than a decade. Joel Barker has worked with organisations both for-profit and not-for-profit all over the world as well as with nations including Singapore, Venezuela, Canada, Mexico and Peru. His honours include an honorary doctorate in visionary leadership and the Excellence in Education Award. Formerly director of the Futures Studies Department of the Science Museum of Minnesota from 1974 to 1978, Joel has spoken to more than one million people around the world and his films have been seen by more than 250 million people. I know you'll be fascinated by his explanation and ideas on the five regions of the future, which he discusses in this month's interview section. So let's go to the interview now. Can we move on and talk about the five regions of the future, the work you did with Scott Erickson? And perhaps you can explain what a technicology is? A technicology. Technicology. It's about ecology and technology. It's a technicology. So what is a technicology? A technicology is a technological ecosystem, and it's basically a new concept. We have talked about, and when I say we, I'm talking about business people, have talked about industrial ecosystems. What we're saying is there's actually another slice of the ecosystem, and it is technology that operates within certain boundaries and certain rules. So in a sense, it's paradigm limited. You have to have the paradigm, which defines the technological boundary. Once you have that, then, you have specific technologies that will work or won't work within those ecosystems, just like you have animals and plants that will or won't work in a natural ecosystem. So I've got the five regions. They're super tech, limits tech, local tech, nature tech, and human tech. Could you just go very briefly through those five and just put a bit of meat on the bone, so to speak? Right. And let's just do it with like two rules out of the five. People who are going to read the book are going to find that each region has five rules, but there are kind of two big ones. One is how you deal with materials. So let's just go through them. Super tech. Their sense of how they deal with materials is superabundance is just around the corner. And what they mean by superabundance is more than enough of everything for everyone worldwide. Their second rule, we'll look at the rule on how they deal with nature, because that is very telling. Supertechers basically believe Mother Nature's done all right up until now, but from here on out, we will build artificially 
better than Mother Nature can produce naturally. And so the whole sense of artifact and artificial world is very, very much a super tech attitude. One super tech example, just to illustrate, would be a robotic arm. Right now we have men and women coming back from Iraq with lost limbs. And the super techers are building a robotic arm that when you think, move the hand, the hand will move out, it will extend, the fingers will grasp, you will actually have feelings when it grasps a glass or a hammer or a tool. Now that's a super techer saying we can, in fact, by the way, in the article I was reading about it said, when we have this done right, it will be actually better than a real arm. Notice, even their language, the writer actually articulates what I say is true about super tech. We believe we can build it better than Mother Nature can grow it. Limits tech basically believes we need to live within the limits of the world. And so we do not do super abundance. We do what is the appropriate amount of things to have for people. But for sure, you do not overfish the oceans and you do not overharvest the forests. Local tech is a technological ecosystem that focuses much more on scale. So it says when we have the local technology in terms of resources, it's small and local is what they try to do. So, for instance, they would generate local energy, you know, where the wind blows, wind, where the waves crash, waves. They would not build one powerful electrical system to charge the whole world. They would have many local sources. Nature Tech, the fourth region, basically says everything that human beings need has already been designed and developed by nature. So our sustenance, our needs, our resources are just waiting for us to discover, okay? And then the human tech region is about the technology that you and I have inside our skin, though it actually extends out a little bit farther than our skin. But it's a technology we were born with that our genetics have given us, and it is about what humans really need isn't so much about material things as it is about spiritual and intellectual and cultural. I understand. So how would knowing about the five regions, super tech, limits tech, local tech, nature tech, and human tech, help individuals and businesses map the future of technology and help them make the right decisions and spot opportunities? Well, here's what Scott and I believe about that. Up till now, when you've been told about technology, you've been told about technology that we call it origins technology. And I'll illustrate that. If I said, I'm holding in my hand right now a jar of biotechnology, you wouldn't know whether that's useful for you or not. I wouldn't. But if I said, I'm holding in my hand a jar of local technology, and you lived in the local tech world, and as your business was tied to local tech, you would know immediately that you'd want to know more about that. Understand. And so one is application, one is origin. So we believe what we've tried to do is define an applications technology paradigm. You should inventory your own business. Take a look at your business. Say, what business am I in? By the way, you're in the human tech business, aren't you? I am. Yeah. But you should know what you're in. We were going through GE's inventory, and what you can see, General Electric right now is moving strongly from super tech into limits tech and local tech. Now, my guess is they don't think about it in terms of five regions of the future. I'd like to get Jeffrey Imelt to read the book so he can see that. But right now, we don't think he's read it. But we can look at their behavior, and from an applications technology point of view, they're moving that way. BP is moving from super tech to 
limits tech and nature tech and local tech. So they're actually, if you look at their behavior, they're moving into those three regions and out of another region. So if you know what's going on, it actually helps you say, oh, I see that I'm moving into an ecosystem, and now I have to make sure my tools, my technology, is optimized for that system. If you try and bring, for instance, a nuclear power plant into a local tech world, it will not be accepted. It's just a waste of your time and money. Conversely, if you're trying to move windmills into a super tech region, they're not interested in that either. It makes a lot of sense. So I took the online 50-question survey, and I know it's in the book as well, and as you might expect, I score very highly, or most highly, in the two areas of human tech and super tech. But how does taking that survey help anyone establish just how and why they've been judging and valuing technology? We say the survey won't do that for you. It will tell you what your inclinations are. Right. And so it would take another kind of device, another survey device, why you feel that way. But what we wanted people to do is just identify that, in fact, they do have feelings toward these things. You'd be interested to know that Supertech scores the lowest. Take a look at the aggregate score. I think we've got about 8,000 people now who've taken the quiz. Supertech scores lowest. So you're an anomaly in the sense that you have a high human tech, high Supertech score. All right, so no doubt you're going to be able to tell me what I'm like now, I imagine. (laughs) Actually, for me, it does tell me something about you because Supertechers have a certain attitude toward the world. They really do. So, you know, at some point, we'll probably try and move into a second survey that does what I was saying. It kind of gets at, why do I feel that way? But right now, that you feel that way is good enough for us because what it does, it reinforces that the ecosystems actually make sense. People can separate out the difference without knowing it because of those questions. You're absolutely right. So how would knowing about the five regions really give somebody the edge in business and in life? Well, number one, if you focus your resources, I think, you know, that's the one problem. Let's say you're a small company and it looks like you've got some of your money in super tech and some of your money in limits tech and some of your money in nature tech. You know, it's a hodgepodge. Yep. And my recommendation would be focus. Number two, it's a marketing issue. If, in fact, you are selling to people in the limits tech world, people with that kind of attitude, you don't want to sell them with a super tech message. No. Because they won't buy that. Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth, is basically saying super tech screwed up. And what we have to do is deal much more with the other technologies that we have available to us, especially limits local and nature tech. And that if we will do that, we still have time to stop this rush to global warming. But if you're a super techer, you know, that's not a message you want to hear. So I think you can actually shape your message around the five regions as well. Not only the marketing message, but presumably the sales message with your people in face-to-face conversations. Exactly right. By the way, if you have universal tech, you know, we have that list of examples at the end of technology that all five regions uses. You would actually have to do that because a universal message isn't the right message. You'd want to say, here's how you use it in local tech. Here's how you use it in limits tech. You would fashion the tip of the spear to get to just super tech or local tech so that you wouldn't confuse them. So you're right. The sales message, the marketing message, the engagement, the philosophical engagement 
can be framed through the five regions of the future. Including, presumably, your brand and the way in which you're generally perceived in the marketplace. I think you could. Fascinating. Absolutely. We're coming towards the end of our time together, Joel, but I've got two quick final questions. Now, I've known the William Blake poem, Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright, for many years, but I've never taken it as a metaphor for technology. Can you expand on that? Well, I was an English teacher. And Blake, by the way, was my favorite poet in high school and in college long before I became a futurist. But I remember my college professor taking me through and saying, you must remember that this poem was written just as the Industrial Revolution was gaining currency in England. And it was seen as horrific by many. And what Blake was able to do was to capture its real meaning, which is the power of the tiger, you know, the beauty of the tiger, the awesomeness of the tiger and then put it in that paradoxical language, which makes it a question about heaven and hell and power. And so I thought, boy, what a great way to finish the book with, because the tiger has come again. And the tiger this time is ten times more powerful than it was at the beginning of the manufacturing age, because we have capacities like manipulation of DNA and nanotechnology and computers so powerful that they can calculate enormous numbers in very short time and new theories like quantum theory that allow us to manipulate things in the world that we never could have manipulated before the issue is who controls the tiger and what we try and say in our book is it ought to be the public it ought to be the citizens of the world it ought not be a private group who has their own private zoo so to speak and has control or unleashes the tiger as they see fit. And so one of the reasons we wrote the book was a call to awareness that we are in a very special technology time. And as my co-author wrote at the beginning, what we decide in the next 10 years will definitely shape the next 100 years. It's that important a time. And if we don't do it together democratically, it doesn't mean it won't get done. In fact, what was that, my quote? You can and should shape your own future because if you don't, someone else surely will. That's right. We will have a future. The question is whether you and I will have a voice in it or not. I believe that somebody should take the survey and obviously get five regions of the future. Where do they go? Which website do they go to to do that? They go to www.5regionsofthefuture, just it's spelled out and no spaces between the words, .com. And the very first sentence they run into it says, do you wish to take the survey? They click on the sentence. That will take them to the survey. Marvellous stuff. So here's my final question then. What are the actions that anyone could take, having listened to what we've talked about today and listening to all your ideas, that they can use to become a paradigm pioneer or capitalise on their understanding of the five regions of the future? What should they do now? Well... I have a very strong belief that those people who are in touch with the options, the alternatives that the future is holding for us, are naturally more adaptable because nothing surprises them so much because they've stayed in touch with what's going on. And so a couple of recommendations. Read outside your field. A good trick is to go to a good magazine shop and grab 10 magazines that you have never read before and read them. And I mean from the women's section, from the car section, from the muscle building section. I mean really step outside your field and start expanding. So number one, begin to expand your horizons of what's going on. Do it once a month, you know, but do it. Second thing is 
I would take the five-region survey to see what your inclination is because it will tell you what you're going to most naturally look for without knowing it. And what we know about paradigms is they tend to influence you without knowing it. So it's important to know kind of where you stand in order to avoid that influence. And along with it, I think reading the book would be helpful. The website, by the way, is loaded with examples. So Scott and I every month put in 15 to 25 examples to expand each of the regions to show what's going on. So, you know, tap into the site every once in a while to see what's going on. And it's got categories, so you can look in categories that you're interested in. Look in some categories that you're not interested in. That's part of the deal. So the website is good for that. I guess the other thing that I would recommend is to get together with people from other industries who think differently than you and purposely, each of you, talk to the other about what's going on. There's two reasons for that. Number one, that's just another verge experience. But also, you're starting to build a relationship with someone who then, because they know you better, may see something that they see as relevant for you that you would never see in your wildest imaginations because you just don't have those contacts. So you become the eyes and ears for them outside their boundaries. They become your eyes and ears outside your boundaries. And by getting together on a regular basis and just you know having lunch and saying, hey, what's going on? And tell me about what's cooking. You have a chance to run into that big idea or that change that's about to occur and be on the front edge of it instead of the back edge of it. Fascinating thoughts, Joel. Thank you so much for all of the ideas, all of the thoughts, all of the methods and all of the actions. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome, Peter. If you've enjoyed our session today, why not head over to our website where we have loads of resources on product creation, on sales, on marketing, and of course, on personal success. That's at theacceleratorsclub.com. I'll see you there.